Okay, well, I lost one bet today. I tried to, to decide how many people might be here tonight since everybody's going home tonight, tomorrow for Thanksgiving break. So this is great. Good to see you all. Um, a little exercise let's do first. Everybody stand up. Stand up. Okay. I know. All right. You won't be up for long. If you, if you know me and could come up here and introduce me, you can sit down. If you, if you know that you've seen me around, but you probably couldn't introduce me, you can sit down. Okay. All right. Okay. At least 50% couldn't introduce me, so I'm going to give you a quick intro. You can sit down now. See, you, you thought you were going to get called on, didn't you? No, no, no. Nobody got called on. Okay, my name's Kerry Curry, and I have been involved at CSF for quite a while, for quite a few years. Um, I'm going to say probably seven, eight, nine, ten years ago, Bill Kirshner, uh, your campus pastor, and uh, the other campus pastor, which is, was Chris Jones, and I don't know who, who of you knows Chris. Chris is the pastor at uh, Redeemer Church. They, along with Stephanie, were kind enough to allow me to come in, worship with you guys, and I began a journey of discipleship with a lot of guys at the house. And over the years, it's, it's been an amazing journey, and I'm always thankful that uh, I get invited back. So I'm a, I, I'm a attend Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. You'll see me at Redeemer once in a while. You'll see me at Genesis once in a while if you go there. If you go to ECC, you'll see me there once in a while. I always like to go where you guys are at, just see what you're hearing. So uh, that's always good for me. Uh, I'm an elder at Sherwood Oaks. Remember elder, because we're going to bring that up tonight. You may want to ask me what an elder does or doesn't do or what they should do. Uh, let's see, what else can I tell you about me? I'm a middle child. And that means that I'll talk about anything. So last time I was here, last time I was here, Stephanie came up to me afterwards and she goes, Carrie, we had to cut the video because of something you said. So now are you ready? <laughs> so remember that, Steph? She said, we've got to cut the video. It wasn't that I said anything bad. It was just she was concerned that maybe it wasn't the best thing to be out there floating around. So I promise to not embarrass you this time. Did I? Yeah. I, <laughs> okay. That's, maybe that's what it was. I shouldn't have said that. Yeah. Uh, I don't even remember. When you, when you get older, you just don't remember everything. And then, oh, also, I do have, also when you get older, sometimes you have to sit. So I'm going to put this back here just in case. All right. So anyway, that's, that's a quick intro of me. And I hope that uh, uh, towards the end, we're going to have a little fun tonight. Hopefully there will be a couple of questions, answers, um, just about some of the things we talk about. Uh, but one thing you might keep in mind is elder. You might keep in mind church because we're going to talk church tonight. Some questions that you might have about church. I might ask you about your church experience. So just be open-minded. Just uh, be ready to, to share with me. Um, so let's review. We're studying the book of? Oh, that's very good. Um, I tell you what's really cool about studying the book of Acts, which probably doesn't apply to, to any of you but me, or maybe, maybe one other person or two other people in the room. Um, how cool for me to come in the fall and start studying the book of Acts. My wife goes to Bible Study Fellowship. I don't know if you've heard of that. They're studying the book of Acts. I have three discipleship groups, and guess what we studied? The book of Acts. We read the book uh, Forgotten God by Francis Chan, which is from the book of Acts. So I don't take those things very lightly. I go, wow, something, there must be a reason why I'm studying the book of Acts. And lo and behold, there's been a lot of reason. I've probably learned more this fall just by delving into that scripture and, and having these other things happening at the same time. Francis Chan's book talks so much about the Holy Spirit. 
So that really zeroed me in on that. My wife, with her study at Bible Study Fellowship, I got to study with her, and they approached things a little bit differently. So I've been inundated with the book of Acts, and it's been great. So who's not been here? Anybody first-timer here? AJ? Okay, couple? That's good. Well, if I said the book of Acts, probably the first thing you would think about, Carson, you've been here? This is it's your first time? Well, come sit, come sit in the chair. No, okay. <laughs> you will by the end of the night. Um, so the book of Acts, this thing is not going to work. Uh, the book of Acts, most people would say it's about the church, the beginning of the church, and that's right. And in fact, we're going to talk about the church tonight. In Acts 2, the first church was formed in Jerusalem, and Peter was a big part of that. Uh, but we're at Acts 11, and we're going to hear about another church that was started, uh, and we'll get to that in a minute. So most people think it's about the formation of the church, and it definitely is. And then there's two, two main characters in the book of Acts. Anybody want to throw out a guess who they are? Say them, Luke, loud. Saul, yes. He's, he's one of the supporting cast members. Who else? Peter, okay, Peter, the first half of Acts is about Peter. The second half of Acts is about Paul. So it's really cool um, um, how that works. Saul, of course, um, as you know, we're going to talk about him in a little bit too and, and that uh, transformation to Paul. So good stuff, really, really good stuff. Book of Acts was written by Luke. Okay. Um, Interesting uh, about Luke. I don't know if you've thought about um, the Gospel of Luke, which is the book he wrote, one of the four Gospels. But the book of Acts was written about 66 years or so after uh, Christ's death. So if you kind of think about that, you're going to go, hmm. If he wrote that book then, did he know Jesus? And he didn't. So Luke's account... And his gospel was based on information that he got from other people. So we know by reading the book of Acts that Matthew was present. So he got information from Matthew. The other person that he got information from was Mark. Mark traveled with Paul and Luke traveled with Paul on Paul's missionary journeys. So that's just a little bit of history there. In the book of Acts, whenever, uh, and Josh will probably point this out to you, whenever he says we, it means Luke and Paul. He's, he doesn't, he's not identified by Luke, but when we, and he's the writer, you'll know that it's uh, Paul and Luke. So uh, Peter, he introduces us in a really powerful way to the, the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the one thing that I want you guys to, to keep focused on. The reason Francis Chan wrote it's the forgotten God, because we talk about God, we talk about Jesus, but somehow we've, we've neglected really talking about the Holy Spirit a lot, whether it be here or at church or, or, or just in uh, uh, your daily walk that you've had. We sometimes forget it. Now, you guys have been inundated with it because... We've been studying the book of Acts, but keep that in mind. And keep in mind, too, that uh, Peter had the courage just to spread the gospel. And if, when you think back of the, uh, the disciples, Peter denied Jesus three times, scared to death right before his death. All the disciples were the same way. They were, they were scared. They ran. They hid. And after they saw the risen Savior, they couldn't stop talking about him. And they, uh, till, the, till the time when, when they died... They were sharing the gospel. So the power of the Holy Spirit working in them uh, was incredible. And if uh, you remember, Jack, what, what book's it from? Is it in John where Jesus says something more powerful than me is coming to be with you, and that's the Holy Spirit. And so um, don't forget that. Uh, when Peter called people, people in Acts 2 to repent and be baptized, Sometimes we forget what else he said. What, what was the last part of that? Repent and be baptized and, do you remember? 
and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing how many times we say repent and be baptized, but we forget the last part of what Peter said and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit lives in us, then we ask the Holy Spirit to use us in a powerful way to proclaim Jesus. So remember that the Holy Spirit is in you. You know, allow the Holy Spirit to work in you and um, it'll be incredible. I promise you it will be incredible. All right, so we are now um, in Acts 11. And if you guys got your Bibles or you've got your phones out, um, we're going to be looking at Acts 11, 19 through 30. That's what Josh asked me to talk about tonight. So um, I'm going to give you just a little bit of a recap of last week just to kind of bring you up to speed where we're at. Um, there was this amazing pivotal moment in uh, the scriptures, and that's where Gentile Cornelius' life intersected with Jewish Peter, and they called that Cornelius, Cornelius' conversion, but really was Peter's conversion. This was, this was a pivotal moment in uh, the gospel of Jesus being shared around the world, because now not only Jews followed Christ, but the Gentiles were following Christ. So this moment in Acts 10, before we get to now, is one of the most uh, pivotal moments because now everybody has the opportunity to get to know Jesus. And the way that happened was, was really amazing that those two, their lives intersect. But Peter presented the gospel to Cornelius, but it was the Holy Spirit that came upon uh, uh, Cornelius and then he was able to share that with the Gentiles. They believed the gospel, and the Holy Spirit filled them with God's love, joy, and peace. So let's talk church, okay? We're going to look at Acts 11, 19, and 20. I'm going to go through this pretty quick uh, because uh, it's a shorter passage, but there's things in these passages uh, in uh, 19 through 30 that I want to point out to you. You might want to make a couple of notes. There's a couple of words in there that we might uh, come back and talk to talk about. But um, uh, let's look at it and um, we'll see here. Worldwide church planning. Okay, so we're going to talk about the formation of the church in Antioch. And this is one of the first church plants. So you've heard of church planting before, well, the first church was in Jerusalem, but now a church is being planted in a town called Antioch, okay? So let's read that, and I'll point out a couple of things. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen's traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenist, also preaching the Lord Jesus. Okay, Hellenist, some of your translations may say Gentiles. That's all that means, Gentiles. So they're saying that now the two have come together in this town of Antioch and a church is going to be started. Okay, I've got a map here just to kind of give you a little idea. It's hard to see, I know. But if you look at Jerusalem where... Peter first started the ministry in the church, and you look at Antioch up there, it's a little hard to tell how far those are apart, but it's about 300 miles. So when we think about the, the form of travel, I mean, there is a lot of people that have uh, embraced the gospel in Jerusalem that are starting to spread out and do things. And now 300 miles away, we're in Antioch, um, and things are starting to happen. Another church is being formed. So Jerusalem was about power. Rome was about, I'm sorry, Jerusalem was about religion. Rome was about power. Athens was about philosophy. And Antioch was about business and immorality. No better place to plant a church, right? So uh, that's where Peter landed. And that's where he began this next church. Okay, so let's go on to um, uh, Acts 21 through 24, okay? I want you to focus when, I, when we read this on the hand of the Lord, okay? 
me read that to you. We're going to read 21 through 24. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Um, what I want you to focus on there is a ministry can't turn people to the Lord unless the hand of the Lord is with them. Once again, we're focusing back on the Holy Spirit and how it works in our lives. And the phrase, believed and turned to the Lord, is a good description of the work of both faith and repentance. Now Barnabas, we met him several weeks ago. I don't know if you guys remember, but with uh, Saul's conversion, we met him. Um, he was the one that helped Saul to be accepted in the church in Jerusalem. Barnabas was not one of the 12 apostles. He wasn't one of the seven deacons. Nevertheless, and I want you to listen to this, he was an active, capable, and trusted worker in the church. You don't need a title and position to be such. Remember that. He was faithful. He was active. He was trusted. We know Barnabas as an encourager. He's always been called an encourager. No wonder he left the church in Jerusalem to come 300 miles to encourage the new church plant in Antioch. So remember that. Okay, let's go on and read a little bit more, 25 and 26. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called, ding, 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 Christians. So if you ever wondered where Christians is in the, in the Bible, the first time Christians is mentioned is in Acts 11. So you might kind of circle that because sometimes people say, well, where did, that, where did that word come from? It came from Acts 11. So it was the first time they were referred to as Christians. In Acts 1, they were called disciples. In Acts 5, they were called believers. Acts 6, we called them brothers. Acts 9, we called them saints. But now they would be called Christians. And just a side note, I like to be called a follower of Christ. So, make a little note if you want to ask me about that later. We can, we can uh, talk on that. All right, now let's finish up this, 27 through 30. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be great famine over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judah. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. All right, so let's dissect a little bit some of the, the things that are said here. Prophets came down. Okay, in the beginning of the church, there were not only apostles, but there were prophets. Now, prophets were preachers who didn't preach what they had heard from someone else. Prophets were preachers who allowed the Holy Spirit to allow God to preach and say something that had not been said by somebody else. So he was predicting a famine, and it did become a reality. If a prophet were to preach something that didn't come true, they were known as a false prophet. Sending of gifts. Knowing a famine would hit Jerusalem hard, the Christians in Antioch made a plan to send aid. This gift was delivered by Barnabas, of course, and Saul. It reflected the fellowship with the disciples in Jerusalem. Antioch took this fellowship to a new level. One church helping another church. This was an ongoing work. Other churches then started participating, and Paul picked up and delivered some of the gifts in his missionary journeys. Now, if you look at 1 Corinthians 16, you'll read about Paul delivering some of these gifts. To the elders, this is another first mention in the Bible, the word elder. 
Um, so far in our study in Acts, we've heard about prophets, deacons, evangelists, apostles that work in the church, now elders. And both the Peter and Paul had a, a definition of what elders are. Anybody want to tell me what an elder is? I'm elder. I'm elderly. Anybody, what's an, what's an elder? Are there elders in the churches you grew up in? Are there elders in the church you go to now? So what's an elder? Do they have to be, do they have to have gray hair? <laughs> what's an elder? Got a good, oh, Jack, I'm not going to call on you. <laughs> I got an idea? Jake. Jake Hooten. What's an elder? Okay. I'll give you an 82% on that. That's very good. That's very good. Okay. Uh, Ajay, what's an elder? Ajay? We call that copying off your neighbor. <laughs> okay, Grant, Grant's Grant, come on. Drum roll, Grant. Let's do it. Scott, would you like to grade that one? What do you want to give Grant it's a lot for that? Of words. Huh? It's a lot of words, isn't it? They're all right. <laughs> they all seem to have As much as I write on that paper I turn in, maybe that will help my grade get better, right? Yeah. I think we're close. There's one word that really both Peter and Paul use to describe an elder. Jack? Hope, shepherd. It's supposed to shepherd the flock. That's, that's an elder's role. Now, the reason that I'll give you all those good grades is because that, that term, elder, has expanded to mean and do a lot of things in different churches. Not every church uses an elder in the same way. The original meaning was to shepherd the flock that we are to shepherd uh, and look over the congregation, to care for the ministers, to pray for the ministers. As far as big decision-making, there's usually somebody within the church that makes big decisions, but the elder oversees everything, shepherds. But it can be different in different churches. Um, and then the church needs trustworthy people. Agabus was trustworthy. His prophecy came true. The Christians at Antioch were trustworthy. They made good their promise to give aid. Barnabas and Saul were trustworthy. They administered and distributed funds. The church members in Jerusalem were trustworthy. They didn't misrepresent or take more than their due. Without trustworthiness, the church cannot survive. You ever heard of a ch church failing because there's a break in trust? So trustworthiness is important for a church to survive so what we've learned right here in these very short passages josh only gives me a little because he knows i can only handle a little but it's that there's a church plant in the beginning of many church plants okay one thing i want to do now is just have a little bit of fun with you in in kind of a in your face way um the church has evolved since, you know, 66 B.C. And a lot of people have different church experiences. I, I suppose if we went around the room where you grew up, the type of church you grew up in, the things you experienced, um, a lot of you would probably say different things. Um, one thing, I struggled with the church, and I will be honest with you, I struggled in the church that I attend is that we always said our mission state would, statement was Matthew 28. What is Matthew 28? 
We know that, don't we? Go and make disciples. How good do you think we do that? It was really hard for me. And when I would go visit other churches and I would look, you know, in their bulletins and stuff, they would say their mission was Matthew 28. And I go, I wonder if they really do go and make disciples. So that was, that was something about the church that I had a hard time with. In theory, it's, it's beautiful. We should go and make disciples. But if we're not, we're not fulfilling the mission of the church. Now, I will say, I... I was a rather bold, and I, I brought that up a lot of times at leadership meetings. I said, you know, if we're saying that this is our mission, that we're to go and make disciples, we need to be equipping people to make disciples. And I see a lot of that going on. I see a lot of it. I see more one-on-one uh, -on -one discipleship. I see more group discipleship. I see a lot of growth. You guys do that really well here. There's a lot of things going on. Steph has a group. Scott has a group. Sarah has a group. Bon has a group. Carrie has a group. Mike, you may have a group. Bill has a group. Josh has a group. Everybody's build, making disciples, right? That's encouraging. There's probably more disciple-making guys going on at 1968 North Jordan than there may be at a lot of churches. So keep that in mind. Challenge your church. If that, that's that's. That's biblical. That's what we're supposed to do. So think about your church, okay? And tell me, let's see, who wants to be bold? Luke, what's your church's mission statement now? <laughs> Guess what? They changed it, okay? They changed it, but that's good. Okay, AJ, what's your church's mission statement? Okay. What's your church's mission statement? Okay. Now, does your church do that? Okay. Ding. That's good. If, if you can look at your mission statement and that's what your church is doing, that's a good thing. What's your church's mission statement, James? Okay. Okay. So what you say, you need to live. Do you feel like your church does that? Yeah. Okay. I love that. Anybody else know their church's mission statement? Okay. Changing lives. Changed lives. Does your ch church do that? I think so. They do? Okay. They do? Okay. That's good. That's good. So here's where we're going to have some fun. Here's where we're going to have a little bit of fun. See all these little yellow post-it notes? I'm going to read to you, I'm going to read to you some critique of the church from an author who has critiqued the church, the modern church. And what I want you to do is listen to what this author says, and I want you to just kind of, with people around you, for a period of 15 seconds, because I've got a few to read, is there any validity in that or not? Okay. And what I want you to point it back to is in September, we read Acts 2, about what the church was about. So you don't have to flip back. But the formation of the church, okay, it says in the book of Acts what the church should be. Okay? So you may remember that, but if you don't remember it, it's fine. But what I'm going to read to you, I'm going to say is a bit harsh, but that's okay because I want you just to think about it. And you can say, you know what, I see that. You can say, I don't agree with any of that. I agree with part of that. But anyway, let's have some fun. Let me read a few things, uh, and you um, tell me what you think. Okay. The benchmark of success in church services has become more about attendance 
than the movement of the Holy Spirit. The entertainment model of church was largely adopted in the 1980s and 90s, and while it alleviated some of our boredom for a couple of hours a week, it filled our churches with self-focused consumers rather than self-sacrificing servants attuned to the Holy Spirit. Pretty bold statement, isn't it? Why don't you talk about it for a minute? Okay. All right. So the one thing in that passage that I read, it said that the Holy Spirit is being ignored. So here's my question about the Holy Spirit. We've been studying the Holy Spirit for what, three months? We're really inundated in the Holy Spirit. How many times at church do you say, wow, the Spirit was alive this morning. I felt the Spirit coming out of my minister. Boy, the Spirit was certainly using Elijah tonight. Did that thought cross your mind? Because that's what the Spirit is supposed to be. That's, that's what church is supposed to be about. The Spirit should be alive at church. The Spirit should be, we, the, we should be inviting the Spirit into everything we do. I should be inviting the Spirit in to me tonight to speak to you. Just a thought, you know. So, AJ, when you say you want to be engaged, the more that you're engaged, the more that I believe the Holy Spirit is alive in the, in the church, in the sermon, in the person that's speaking. Bill, would you agree with that? Yeah, I would, I would say too, Terry. I think oftentimes we put the onus of all this on Elijah and yourself tonight and the band around. But where, what, what have you done in the last six days personally? And we're all probably guilty of it. But what, what have we done personally in our own worship to prepare us for those Holy Spirit moments and for the Holy Spirit to be moving Bill's got an excellent point. So as I prepare to speak, I need to be asking the Holy Spirit to lead me so I can lead you. That could be a void. That could be a void. I may be worried more about what am I going to say? I hope, oh, I hope they like what I say. I hope that I'm effective. But have I invited the Holy Spirit to lead me so I can lead you? Has Elijah, yeah, pardon me? And have you done the same thing right. in our assembly as well as other pastors that have spoken around here? Right. Did Elijah invite the Holy Spirit to lead him tonight? I happened to meet with him early tonight, and we talked about it, just kind of as a, a reminder that the Spirit is going to work through him tonight. Just a good reminder. Yes. <laughs> you um, All right, Megan. And like <laughs> Megan and I have not talked, but you know what? I'm going to read you the next one, and then you're going to you're going to share about it because this is this is impactful, guys. Here we go. You ready, Megan? The spirit is alive because that is where I was going with this. Bon, I know you want to say something. I'm going to get to you in just a second. Okay, here we go. Listen to this one. I am most definitely writing from a Western context, and I know that the body of Christ is vibrant and growing in the Holy Spirit, active on continents like Africa, South America, and Asia. I also know that God works uniquely in various places and times, and I do think this explains part of the difference between here and there. However, I also believe the Spirit is more obviously active in places where people are desperate for Him, humbled before Him, and not distracted by their pursuit of wealth or comforts. Is that what you were saying? Running for their life 
They're hungry for him. They're pursuing him. And I think sometimes maybe the fault of, of just the circumstances of where we at, where we, where we live, how many times do you say, I'm hungry for my relationship with God? I want to be in pursuit of God. I need to grow with God. I can't live without God. I want to be in harmony with God. I want my conversations with Joe to be about God. I want to grow in my uh, discipleship uh, relationship with Bonnie as we work with young people. We want God to be a part of that. I don't know how often we invite that in, and it's there. The Spirit's in us. The Spirit is dwelling in us, just ready to allow us to use him to make a huge impact. So when you said that, I was like, oh my gosh, that was just mentioned, that it seems like places besides here are certainly more hungry for the relationship with God and pursuing that, okay? Comments on that before we go to the last one? For it really beats us up. Let's see if I can find it. Okay. Okay, a little bit longer, but I think you'll find this very interesting. He is calling me and all of us to depend on him for living in a way that cannot be mimicked or forged. He wants us to walk in step with his spirit rather than to depend solely on the raw talent and knowledge he's given us. But instead of living this way, we've created a whole brand of churches that do not depend on the spirit, a culture of Christians who are not disciples, a new group of followers who do not follow. If all God asked were for faceless numbers to fill churches, then we would all be doing all right. Most of us would feel pretty confident, but simply having a good speaker, a service that is short and engaging, a good venue, whatever else we add to the mix does not make good or successful church. God intended for his bride, those who claim his name, to be much more than this. God is not interested in numbers. He cares more about the faithfulness, not the size of his bride. He cares about whether people are lovers of him. And I might be able to get people in the doors of a church or auditorium if I tell enough jokes or use enough visuals. The fact remains I cannot convince people to be obsessed by Jesus. Perhaps I can talk people into praying a prayer, but I cannot talk anyone into falling in love with Christ. I cannot make someone understand and accept the gift of grace. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. So by every measure that actually counts, I need the Holy Spirit desperately. How did that resonate with you? Let's pick it apart a little bit. Anything that was said there that bothers you? I got kicked in the butt how long ago? Nope, not in your group, not in your, not in your group, Elijah's group. I said, you know, that's right. I was reading this with one of my groups, and um, God is not interested in numbers. He cares more about faithfulness, not size. I said, you know, that's right. And uh, in my uh, discipleship group with Elijah, uh, a guy named Isaac Irvin goes, wrong. And I go, no, it seems to be about numbers. I remember when I was younger in churches, there was always a board up there that said this week, 322, last week, 248 or whatever. I said, see, it's all, it's about numbers. But he said something really powerful to me. And I want to leave this with you because you can read, you know, this is not, this is not the authority. This is just an opinion. This is an opinion to make us think about things. But Isaac said to me, remember what it was? Numbers have names. Names have faces. Faces have stories. Every story matters to God. And I went, oh my gosh. You're right. I said, Isaac, say it again. Every number has a name. Every name has a face. Every face has a story. Every story matters to God. And I said, you're right. I hadn't thought about that perspective. So even though somebody may write it and we go, okay, yeah, 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 I think that's right. You guys are great at discerning. 
And I like when you talk about these things. I like when we read these books because these books challenge us to think. These books create tension. I mean, I'm a part of a big church. My church, what, the average 2,600 a week? Is the Holy Spirit alive in the church? There's many mornings I feel the Holy Spirit's alive in the church. I'm absolutely engrossed by the message, and the message goes with me outside the church. I've written notes. I'm in, I want to put that into practice. But there may be times that it's not. If, if you're saying you feel like we have to stimulate and do things and distract from the message, something to think about. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that if you go back and read Acts 2, and that's going to be your homework tonight, after you decorate and drink your hot chocolate, get Acts 2 and read what Peter said, the, church, the first church, and what it was founded on, and what it was about. And go, is my church embracing those principles? I'm going to tell you that every one of your churches is to some degree. But for God to work best, the Holy Spirit must be alive in the church. It must be alive in those who are speaking. It must be alive in those who are doing worship. And look at it a different way. I've been guilty of this. Uh, I think it was three or four weeks ago, Allie was leading worship. And afterwards, I couldn't wait to hug her and go, Allie, you were awesome. Allie was just a vessel of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't Allie that was awesome. It was the Spirit alive in Allie that was awesome. So she's not here, so I won't embarrass her. But that's what I want, I want us to think about. When we have the opportunity to share the gospel, invite the Spirit to use us. I'm an A-type. I'm an A-type. Everybody knows that. I feel like I have to be a leader, but if I don't ask the Spirit to lead me first, I can't be a good leader. I can't be. And when I fall flat on my face, I can step back and analyze and I can come up with all the reasons why um, I'm not a good leader. Bill's telling me that I've gone over. So, <laughs> so I am going to invite anybody who has a comment about this or if you feel challenged by it, continue to read the book of Acts with that discerning eye of how the Holy Spirit is the gift that Jesus said was better than Jesus himself. Go back and read that. He said, something is coming that's better than me. He said, that's the Holy Spirit. And when we repent and be baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, there's nothing like that. It lives in us, and when we invite the Holy Spirit to be a part of our lives, and we ask the Holy Spirit to lead us, we'll lead pretty well. When we try to do things on our own, a lot of times we struggle. So, Steph, closing thoughts from you? No so church don't is perfect. Church, yeah. Because if you find yourself in that area, you're and not. yeah, and like, like 
And like Steph said, there's no church bashing going on here. It's just a perspective that I think sometimes we've forgotten. You know, if the Holy Spirit's alive in the church, then we're going to grow because that Holy Spirit's going to penetrate us and it's going to affect the way that we live our lives. I just got off a three-day retreat. The Holy Spirit was alive. It was truly alive. And I came back feeling convicted to do a lot of things. And I'll be honest with you, and Scott can attest to this, I basically sat in a chair for 72 hours. God had something to teach me for those 72 hours that, you know what? I want you to sit still for 72 hours, basically, is what I did. But so much penetrated me over those 72 hours. Um, Bill, thoughts from you? You studied this so much. I, I want to give one example before I close, because that's so true. When I went on this retreat, the first night of the retreat, I was one of the only people that had their cell phone, because you're not supposed to have a cell phone. But I texted uh, one of my very best friends, Bonnie, and I said, Bonnie, I don't know what my purpose is. And she goes, invite the Holy Spirit into this weekend, and it will be revealed to you. And Saturday night, Bonnie's always preaching. And Saturday night, the Holy Spirit revealed to me what I needed to see. And it was the most impactful hour of my weekend. But I had to have my sister remind me to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to me what the purpose for Carrie was for the weekend. Not Elijah, not Jack, not, jo not Joe. I had to have the Holy Spirit re revealed to me. Embrace this, guys. I wish I had even been, I wish I'd had half this talk when I was your age. I never had this talk. I went to church, and it was very routine. We sang hymns. We heard a sermon. I all often was going, I don't know how this relates to my life. I was proactive. I found a place where I could find something relevant, where it related to my life, where I could grow. I want that for you guys. Okay. If I have one prayer tonight, it's for you guys to embrace this. I want you to feel loved. God loves you. Invite the Holy Spirit to lead your lives you will find joy. There's lots of choices we have in this life, and you guys all know that. We have lots of choices. I've gone off on some pretty bad gravel roads. They didn't lead anywhere. They didn't. They were empty at the end of those roads. Once I got back on track, focused on what was important, my life started to matter and had meaning. So that's what I want for you guys. Anybody want to know why I'm a follower of Christ and not a Christian? When was that going to come up? Okay, well, I am a Christian. <laughs> I am. But I like the term follower of Christ. I'll leave this one with you. If you've heard me talk before here several years ago, the word Christian, you know, just seems to have a negative connotation. Now, I know we're bold in our faith. We know that we're proud to be Christians. But if the word Christian Keep somebody from finding out more about Jesus, Jesus because that puts up that early front. Try this one. When somebody says, well, you're a Christian. I know, I know you're a Christian. And I go, oh, that's interesting. I consider myself a follower of Christ. And they go, what does that mean? Or why is that different? I said, well, I said, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I said, I have studied him. I said, he loves, he, he calls us to love, he doesn't judge, he serves, 
He takes care of children, those in need. I said, I just haven't been able to find anything that I don't love about him. Nobody can give any pushback to loving, serving, caring, not judging. So when you feel like that word Christian puts up a little bit of a wall, I just kind of say, oh, oh, I never think about that. That's how I do it. I go, I never think about that. I'm just a follower of Christ. And then you're able, then they'll go, what does that mean? They'll always say that. Well, what's, so, what's different about that? And then you can just pull out four things, four things about Christ that you absolutely love. We are all modeling him, right? We're emulating him, right? So pull out four things, and nobody will argue with those. They'll like those. That might allow you to have a deeper conversation. It might allow you to, to say just a little bit more, teach them a little bit more. So Christian's a great word. Christian was brought up in the book of Acts. It's the world that's made that word sometimes not offensive but can, can put off people. So try the follower of Christ. See if you can't get one step further in a conversation by using that. Anybody else? Okay, I know that hot chocolate's going to be really good. Okay. Well, hey, guys, let me pray for you, and we'll, we'll bring the uh, worship team back up. Father God, I just thank you for, uh, gosh, this evening. Uh, I'm just so grateful to Bill and Josh and Steph for uh, asking me to come tonight. Um, one thing's very clear, Father, and uh, I say this with uh, all my heart. Uh, I love these guys. I love being able to be in front of them. I love being able to, to share uh, my journey and how uh, uh, through the ups and downs of life, I've been able to see you more clearly. I, I love the fact that uh, uh, I'm reminded that I need to ask the Holy Spirit to lead me before I lead out in my life. So I just challenge each and every person here tonight just to go back to Acts 2, just read about what the church is all about, and apply that into their lives each and every day. Father, we feel your love tonight. In your son's name, amen.